Imagine unlocking a version of yourself that's unstoppable, where mental barriers no longer hold you back. Listen to Mentally Stronger with me, Amy Morin, therapist and international bestselling author, here to guide you on a journey to reaching your greatest potential. Every Monday, I bring you into conversations with some of the most fascinating minds, experts, authors, entrepreneurs, athletes, and musicians. They don't just share stories. They reveal the mental strategies that propelled them to the top. But here's the real magic. At the end of each episode, I break down their wisdom into practical therapist-approved advice. In my solo episodes, I dive deep into the techniques that build mental strength. It's like having your own personal therapy session as you discover how to turn these insights into steps you can take right now. This podcast isn't just for those facing mental health challenges. It's for anyone who wants to push their limits, achieve peak performance, and truly thrive. Are you ready to unlock your full potential? Then it's time to become mentally stronger. Subscribe to Mentally Stronger with therapist Amy Morin, available wherever you love to listen to podcasts. We all love eating tasty food, and what's even better than that is when it's completely free. That's exactly what HelloFresh is giving away to you guys today. Free appetizers for the rest of your life. If you don't know, HelloFresh is America's number one meal kit. I've been a long-time subscriber because not only do they make meal planning as simple as possible and essentially remove any trips I need to take to the grocery store, but they have the biggest menu out there with over 50 recipes to choose from every single week. I mean, it's summertime. We all want to spend more time relaxing in the sun and less time in the kitchen using HelloFresh, and they let you get back to enjoying pool and beach time with just a few clicks on your computer. Just choose your meals, select a delivery date, and HelloFresh delivers everything right to your door. And like I said, when you sign up today, you'll unlock free appetizers for life. Go to HelloFresh.com slash AndrewApps for free appetizers for life. One appetizer item per box while subscription is active. That's free appetizers for life at HelloFresh.com slash AndrewApps. Now on Netflix, inspired by the unbelievable true story of a fake hitman, comes the new movie, Hitman, from Academy Award nominee Richard Linklater. At 96% certified fresh on Rotten Tomatoes, critics are calling Hitman a smart, sexy crime thriller with surprises at every turn. Starring Glenn Powell and Adria Arjona, Hitman. Now playing on Netflix and in select theaters. Rated R. Today's four stories are a collection of some of the most unusual mysteries we've ever come across. They'll make you wonder and ask questions, just as they've done to so many others. Here are the strangest mysteries that will freak and amaze you. Number four, Lucy Ann Johnson. In Canada, around 70 to 80,000 people go missing each and every year. The majority of those cases, around 85%, are solved within a week or two, but after that, the chances of finding the person, or even what happened to them, becomes highly unlikely, which is the exact reason why the case of Lucy Johnson is such a strange and unique one. Lucy lived in the city of Surrey in British Columbia, Canada, and from a young age, she was quite the wanderer. She was originally from Alaska before moving to Canada, where she lived in Carcross, Yukon for a bit, before then moving to Surrey. And there she met and married her husband Marvin back in 1954, 
The couple had two children, Linda and Daniel. By all accounts, they lived a happy and normal life until you dig a little deeper. Because on May 14th of 1965, when she was 30 years old, Lucy was reported missing to the police by her husband. An investigation was launched, and fairly quickly, detectives suspected she may have been a victim of foul play because of the long gap between when she was last seen and when Marvin reported her missing. The last time anybody had laid eyes on her, it was a neighbor who saw her about four years prior, in September of 61. As expected, police suspected her husband, even excavating the family's yard in hopes of finding clues, but nothing incriminating was ever found, and despite the accusation, Marvin was never charged. As the search went on, police couldn't find Lucy, and eventually the case just slowly grew cold. For over 50 years, her family looked for her, but there was never any luck. Linda, Lucy's now-grown daughter, continued her search, and she remained in touch with the RCMP and got Lucy to be featured on their Missing of the Month series. She also added pleas in local newspapers in northern BC and other Yukon publications. The reason for the Yukon publications was because she knew her mom once lived in Carcross. Then on July 16th of 2013, a woman named Rhonda, living in Whitehorse, who had seen that Linda was looking for her mother, called police telling them that she too was Lucy's daughter. Investigators headed out, and it was here they confirmed that Rhonda's mother was none other than Lucy Ann Johnson. Eventually, Linda met up with her mother and four other half-siblings. As soon as she got off the plane, Lucy recognized her right away. After they settled, Linda asked her mom why she had left, and apparently it was because her husband Marvin was abusive and cheated on her with other women. She said she tried to take her kids with her, but Marvin wouldn't allow it, and so she had to do what was best for her and get away. Although Linda says she wasn't 100% sure if she believes her mom or not, she is glad that they're back together now, and more importantly, that her mom is alive and well. The two have remained in touch, speaking to each other several times a week. Linda is also considering moving to Whitehorse to be closer to her, since she's 88 years old now. Number 3. Brian Wells On August 23rd of 2003, a man with an unusual device strapped on him walked inside a bank in Erie, Pennsylvania. He handed the teller a note telling her to give him $250,000 within the next 15 minutes. The teller couldn't arrange that amount in such a short time, but told him she could get him $8,700. Although the amount was small, the man took it, walked out, and drove off. Police were called and quickly found him just standing in a nearby parking lot close to his car. He hadn't gone far and was then quickly cuffed and tossed to the pavement. It was then that the man told officers that someone had placed a bomb around his neck and that it would go off unless he completed a scavenger hunt to find the codes and keys to free himself. Police warned pedestrians and took cover as the man sat and they figured out the next move. The bomb squad were called in, but before they could even get there, the caller began beeping. 
man scooted backward, trying to get away from the inevitable, but the device exploded, creating a five-inch wide hole in his chest. This entire scene was caught on camera, and the victim, a pizza delivery man named Brian Wells, took his last gasp of air, and then it was over. The bomb itself was a triple-banded metal collar containing four keyholes and a three-digit combination lock. It had an iron box with two pieces of six-inch pipe bombs with smokeless powder inside. It also had two kitchen timers and one electronic countdown timer. There were wires running all around, but they connected to nothing, a ruse to throw off those who would attempt to disable it. The entire thing had a hinge lock which snapped shut like a handcuff. By his car, police found a homemade gun made to look like a cane. They also discovered handwritten notes addressed to the bomb hostage, which had detailed instructions about robbing the bank and what to do next to free himself from the bomb. Wells had secured the first clue, but got caught by police before he could get to the second one. The authorities followed the trail themselves to see where it would lead. They got the second clue, but when they headed for the third, they found the jar that was supposed to contain it empty. Someone was watching them all along, and had pulled the clue before they could even get to it. About a month after the incident, on September 20th, 59-year-old handyman Bill Rothstein called 911. He told them there was a body inside his freezer. Rothstein said he didn't kill the man, James Roden, but his ex-girlfriend, Marjorie Armstrong, did, and he agreed to help store the body. Marjorie was then arrested. Already a notorious figure, she was known to police for having a string of dead lovers. Initially, she wasn't linked to the Wells case until she said Rodden's murder had everything to do with it. She agreed to tell police everything in exchange for a transfer to a minimum security prison. Marjorie then pointed the finger at Rothstein instead, but by this time, Rothstein had passed away from lymphoma. And then a man named Kenneth Barnes entered the equation. A crack dealer, Barnes was already in jail for another sentence, but cooperated in hopes of getting that reduced. He confirmed that Marjorie was the mastermind behind the whole plan, but also said Wells wasn't an innocent pizza delivery guy, but was in on the scheme as well. But for Wells, well, he thought the bomb was fake before he was double-crossed by the others, and a real bomb was placed on his neck. Police announced all this information at a press meeting to the shock of the Wells family. Although it took a while for her trial to get underway, Marjorie was tried and found guilty of the crime and then sentenced to life in prison. Kenneth Barnes was then sentenced to 45 years in jail for his involvement. In 2018, a woman named Jessica Hoopsick came forward and admitted her involvement in the plot as well. She was a former prostitute whose clients included Barnes and also Wells. She said she was approached by Barnes to find a gopher, someone they could scare into robbing a bank, and she recommended Wells in exchange for money and drugs. Today, this case remains intriguing, as there are no true clear answers. Many still speculate that even though she may have been sketchy, Marjorie wasn't the real mastermind behind everything. According to retired FBI criminal investigator Jim Fisher, 
The profile of the mastermind fits more with Bill Rothstein than any other. However, today, this case still remains mysterious. Number 2. Disappearance of Paula Jean Weldon It was Christmas break in December of 1946, but instead of going home, 18-year-old Paula Jean Weldon decided to just spend it at her school, Bennington College in Vermont. On December 1st, she showed up for her breakfast and lunch shift at the dining hall, then went back to her dorm room. She hung out for a while and studied before telling her roommate she was heading out for a hike along the nearby Bennington Long Trail. The art student left at 2.30 p.m. wearing a red parka with fur trim and blue jeans, underdressed for the cold weather. Motorist and fellow hikers saw her hitchhiking from the Bennington campus, and the driver that picked her up said she told him she was heading to the Long Trail off Route 9, close to Glastonbury Mountain. Once on the trail, several people confirmed seeing her, and at 4 p.m., Weldon spoke to a man on the trail, asking how far it extended. He explained that the trail went all the way to Canada. By 5 p.m., the sun had set, and then a few hours after that, the snow began to fall. Weldon's roommate at the dorm woke up the next day and realized her friend hadn't come home from the night before. She told school authorities, and they immediately launched a search. Her family and the police were then informed. A search was underway, but it proved difficult because the trail was so big. A middle-aged couple came forward, saying they were walking behind the young girl at about 100 yards away the day she went missing. They could see her ahead, but she disappeared from view when she rounded a rocky outcropping. When the couple reached the corner themselves, they were surprised to find the girl was nowhere to be seen. At the time, there was no Vermont State Police, so officers from New York, Connecticut, and Massachusetts pitched in. For weeks, the search went on, but no sign of the college student was ever found. Police theorized she might have gotten lost and wandered off the trail, then succumbed to exposure and passed away. But as time wore on without any sign of her, they began considering other theories. They thought maybe she had run away, but her family refutes this. A lack of clothes and personal belongings suggests otherwise as well. Although no evidence of Weldon suffering foul play was uncovered, some speculate she may have been a victim of a serial killer because for years, the area suffered from a string of strange disappearances. They began in November of 1945 when 74-year-old Mitty Rivers went missing after guiding a group of four hunters. He was an experienced hunter himself and knew the area well. Rivers had gotten ahead of his group and then was never seen again. He also disappeared on the Long Trail Road, close to Route 9. Then in December of 49, an ex-soldier, known as Mr. Tedford, disappeared while on a crowded bus. He was sitting on it with 14 other passengers who testified to seeing him there. When the bus reached its destination, Tedford was gone. His item still sat on the luggage rack and a bus schedule lay open on his seat, but he was gone and never was heard from again. In 1946, Weldon vanished during her hike. 
Then in mid-October of 1950, an eight-year-old boy, Paul Jepson, vanished as his mother tended to her farm animals nearby. She had told the boy to stay close, but when she returned a short time later, she couldn't find him. And then 16 days after Jespin vanished, 53-year-old Frida Langer disappeared too. She was hiking with her cousin when she fell into a stream. She told her cousin to wait while she headed back to camp to change clothes. And when it took a while, her cousin decided to return to the campsite, but was told Langer had not arrived there and nobody saw her prior to them leaving. It wasn't until a year later, in May of 51, when her body was found near the Somerset Reservoir, a place that had actually been searched extensively months prior. The cause of death couldn't be determined. There are still no clues as to who took these people or what happened to them. Langer's disappearance was the last one to occur in the area during the time. Walden's family continued to look for her, and her father helped pass a law for the Vermont State Police to be created. But, as of today, no one knows where she went or what happened to her. Number 1. Dorothy Eadie Born in January of 1904 in London, England, Dorothy Eadie was just like any normal baby. But then, when she was three, she fell down a flight of stairs. Her accident was so severe that doctors actually pronounced her dead at first, but miraculously, the child regained consciousness and after an hour was able to sit up in bed. But after the incident, something was drastically different. Dorothy began having reoccurring dreams of a huge building with grand columns and a garden with flowers and fruits. Sometimes her mother would find her hiding under furniture and crying. When asked why she was so sad, she would just say, I want to go home, despite being home already. One day when she was taken to a museum and saw the Egyptian galleries, Dorothy ran up to the statues, kissing their feet and saying, These are my people. She was unwilling to leave. When she learned to read, she said hieroglyphic writing looked familiar to her, but that she forgot how to read it. At age seven, she saw a photo of Seti I's temple in Abidos and claimed, This is my home. This is where I used to live. But why is it all broken and where's the garden? Then, when she saw the mummified remains of Seti I, she said she knew him personally. Because of her interest in Egypt, prominent Egyptologist E.A. Budge from the British Museum became interested in her and taught her how to read hieroglyphics. She grasped the language easily and said it was only because she was simply relearning it. As she grew older, Dorothy continued to insist of her Egyptian origins, causing her parents some embarrassment. When she grew up, she even worked as a cartoonist for an Egyptian publication. It was here that she met her husband, Iman Magoon. When they married in 1931, Dorothy moved to Egypt, and as soon as she got there, she kissed the ground and announced she was finally home to stay. The couple stayed in Cairo. She gave birth to a son, whom they named Seti. This is where her popular nickname of Om Seti, which means mother of Seti, came from. As she stayed there, she continued reporting strange out-of-body experiences and apparitions. According to her story, 
One evening, she was visited by a man named Hora. He would tell her details of her life and would return frequently over the next year to tell her everything. At night, Dorothy's husband would report she would get up seemingly sleepwalking, sit at her desk, and write. This resulted in 70 pages of cursive, hieroglyphic text. On one occasion, her husband's father ran from Dorothy's room scared because he claimed to have seen a pharaoh sitting at the foot of Amsetti's bed. The story told was that Dorothy's original name was Bentrashit, which meant Harp of Joy. She was born to a peasant family, but when her mother died, her father couldn't take care of her and left her in the temple of Kham al-Sultan, and it was here that she was brought up as a priestess. She became a consecrated virgin of the temple, and when Seti I visited her there, they spoke to each other and soon became lovers. When she became pregnant, she told the high priest who the father was, but the priest informed her it was a grievous offense, the result of which would be death. Although many were baffled at Dorothy's claims that she was a reincarnation of an Egyptian priestess, others were also fascinated by her story. Dorothy became the first woman to sit at the Antiquities Department in Abidos, and it was through her advice and memories they found the location of the Temple Garden. She physically pointed it out and also led them to a tunnel that ran on the north side of the temple. She also said there was a library vault of religious and historical records under the Temple of Seti. All of these turned out to be real. Moreover, she provided information about the Assyrian and said the Sphinx was much older than what it is believed to be. Dorothy died at the age of 77 on April 21st, 1981. She was buried in a local Coptic cemetery in the desert. Many still don't know whether Dorothy was the real thing or a hoaxer who had an obsession with ancient Egypt, but her knowledge of details make it very compelling that she somehow was telling the truth. All these mysteries have baffled investigators and family members over the years. For some, they continue to fascinate and generate many questions to this day. I'm Andrew, and I want to thank you guys for tuning in. If you enjoyed this episode, please do check out our exclusive content down in the links below. With bonus episodes coming out each week, plus a whole library you get access to. Thanks again for tuning in, and I'll see you all in the next one. Have you made the switch to NYX? Millions of women have made the switch to the revolutionary period underwear from NYX. That's K-N-I-X. Period panties from NYX are like no other, making them the number one leak-proof underwear brand in North America. They're comfy, stylish, and absorbent, perfect for period protection from your lightest to your heaviest days. They look, feel, and machine wash just like regular underwear, but feature incognito protection that has you covered. You can shop sizes from extra small to 4XL. Choose from all kinds of colors, prints, and different styles, from bikinis to boy shorts, thongs to high-rise. You've got to try NYX. See why millions are ditching disposable, wasteful period products and have switched to NYX. Go to knix.com and get 15% off with promo code TRY15. That's nix.com promo code TRY15 for 15% off life-changing period underwear.
That's K-N-I-X dot com.